Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Around the World. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this lovely evening, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. Um, I'm the one who got to pick this week's movie and bring guests that I wanted to bring, and I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready. ready. Yeah, you are excited this evening. We're excited that you're here. (laughs) Before we introduce your wonderful guest, another mainstay of the show, David Luzader. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, just having some weird sensitivities to sunlight. Um, cats are making a lot of sound when I walk by them, but that, I'm sure that's normal. Yeah, it's the cat thing, a lore thing. We're going to get into that. Uh, joining <laughs> us, the lovely Terry Lynn Hudson. She's an actress based out of Chicago. She is currently on two web series on the OTV network. You can find them in the show notes of this program. Uh, one is Conspiracy Theorist, which will debut in June, and the other is Symbiotic, available now. Uh, Terry, thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Before we get into our episode, why don't you give us the elevator pitch of these two programs that you're on? So Symbiotic, which has a full season up on the OTV, is a show written, directed by and starring all queer people with disabilities. And it's amazing. There is no inspiration porn here. It's like we can be great. We can be terrible. We're just people. These are our lives. And conspiracy theorists, I don't want to give a lot away about, but (laughs) it's a very interesting drama. It's um, written, directed by a black woman, has mostly black female cast, and it's good. Just watch it. Very good. Now, is this all based out of Chicago? Yes, it is. Oh, right on. Do you guys do any uh, connection with Columbia College? I feel like that's very up Columbia College's Avenue. Like, do you have alums there? Um, not off the top of my head. There are probably some people on the network from Columbia College, but of the two shows I'm currently working on, not that I know of, but I could be missing something. I asked because that's where I went to school. And there was, you know, when I left in the film program, there was a huge emphasis on um, increased diversity in their film program and uh, actually classes based on LGBTQ film and all that sort of really cool stuff. So I would not be surprised if there is some overlap there with people that you work with. Uh, Very very good. Very good. It's a pleasure to have you on. Be sure to check those out, everybody. Again, they'll be in the show notes. This week's movie, though, it was picked by Nicole, as she said. It's an around-the-world pick. That is a pick that has come out uh, in a place that's not America. Yeah, we have to go somewhere else, and and you can fudge it like I do sometimes, but Nicole certainly does not. She takes <laughs> us to new and exciting places that aren't Britain. And, God um, dang it. <laughs> in this case, she took us to Sweden for a movie called Let the Right One In. It came out in 2008. Before I give a synopsis of this, I do want to remind everybody that next week's movie is a You Did This To Us pick. That is when you, the audience, gets to go online uh, on our Facebook and Twitter and vote on what the movie is going to be. Now, if this is what you're listening to right now, the vote has been decided. We record these a couple weeks ahead of time. So if you want to vote in the future, 
You need to go on over to our Facebook and our Twitter. Just search Movie Go Round. You'll find it. And you can vote in the future. And right now, it's not looking good. I mean, I saw Aragon pop up and The Last Airbender. I mean, guys, Gods of Egypt is winning. All of these are bad. Yes, grant you. But do not forget that we did the emoji movie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No matter what happens, we can weather this storm. (laughs) I guess. Shout out to Bandu Scott weathered that with us. Uh, but yeah, if you want to vote on those, be sure to go and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. But future me, the one who knows whatever we've suffered through, is going to tell you what we watched and are going to be watching next week right now. You picked Gods of Egypt. Oh boy, I hope it's not bad. It's probably bad. Well, of course it's bad. Everything in the running's bad right it's, now. It's bad. It's just degrees, right? (laughs) Um, So let the right one in. This week, 2008, when Oscar, and keep in mind, anything that sounds like a C is replaced with a K, because it's Sweden. When Oscar, a sensitive, bullied 12-year-old living with his mother in suburban Sweden, meets his new neighbor, the mysterious and moody Ellie, they strike up a friendship. Initially reserved with each other, Oscar and Ellie slowly form a close bond, but it soon becomes apparent that she is no ordinary young girl. Eventually, Ellie shares her dark secret with Oscar, revealing her connection to a string of bloody local murders. As David alluded to at the top of the program, this is this is a vampire movie. I think it's our first one that we've done. Uh, Nicole, why did you pick yes. it? Well, um, originally, um, before scheduling issues got in the way, I was going to have Terry on to do this in the future classics category last year. Uh, but then it turned to 2019 and it got one year too old uh, Ooh, for yeah. our future classics category. So I moved it into around the world. Um, this is, this is a drama about uh, kids bonding in a place where most and and living their lives and trying to navigate how how people treat each other in a world where adults are kind of all looking the other way. Um, and it just happens to be that one of these people is a vampire. <laughs> it's and the that most sort bizarre of coming of age story on the on the on the relationship and it's just i thought it was fascinating i think the performances between the the two child leads are amazing and wonderful um with one glaring exception which i know we'll get to the cgi work is <laughs> subtle and used to fantastic effect um it's not anything like the way an American movie would be done. And I, I love it for that. Very good. Now this was a movie that Terry, you had seen many times before you love this movie. So how did you get introduced to this movie? What keeps you coming back to it before we get into all of our discussion topics? The introduction is actually really amusing to look back on. I was hanging out with my best friend one night back in Austin, Texas, when I was living there. And we both love horror movies. And we decided to go to our local Vulcan video and go rent a horror movie. So we go to Vulcan. We're a little bored with the selection. We picked out something not memorable, took it up to the counter. Person at the counter says, hey, 
you guys like scary movies? <laughs> and actually sent us away from the video store, turned down our rental, pulled out a poster for Let the Right One In, and explained that this was playing at the local art house and there was a show in an hour and we better go see it right this minute. And we were like, okay, this person actually sent us away from his place <laughs> of business to go see a better horror movie than anything that he had in the store. As far as he was concerned, we're going to take this advice because that does not happen every day. And so we went to see it and we were mind blown by how good it was. And as soon as it was out on video, we bought a copy and um, went on this whole tear of anyone who hadn't seen it. If we were talking about scary movies or vampire movies or just good movies, it was like, oh, you haven't seen Let the Right One In? Let us show it to you. So I've probably seen this movie around a dozen times by now. Wow, right uh, on. What that, what that guy did was interesting, but also kind of a jerk. Hey, I want to rent this movie. No, you don't. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> so, you don't know what you want. Sounds like yeah. it was a gamble that paid off and might also be why Vulcan Video is currently in the news this week yeah. for requesting donations to stay open. So, oh, no. <laughs> they've raised $12,000 in one day. Hopefully they'll be okay. Right. We're short $5. <laughs> if only I hadn't turned them away. <laughs> well, it's it's wonderful that we have uh, two folks on this panel who had seen this movie before that love this movie. David, I believe you and I were in the same boat. Had you even heard of this before? I had not. Uh, I'd heard of it, but I had not seen it. It's one of those ones where it even was like, uh, someone mentioned it at some point like it wasn't even on a list of anything anywhere but i mean i probably would have seen it eventually i feel like yeah definitely i this was something i had never even heard of before i i gotta be real i don't know if i've ever seen a swedish film before period i did learn that their language is like eerily close to english like you can understand every fifth word so the more you know. But let's delve into some of our discussion topics. We have a bunch here. There's really no easy one to dive into right away because they're all fairly heavy. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about uh, right right away, uh, you know, Ellie and Oscar meet on this playground set thing. A jungle gym, I think, is what it mostly is outside of their oh, subarctic. It's like the home. outdoor common area for the apartment complex. Mm -hmm. Right, right, but they're they're on like a jungle like gym. Like the bleakest thing. apartment complex on planet Earth. <laughs> that whole oh my town God. was so. Depressing. I was about to say the bleakest place. Yeah, so they meet and and they start striking up this friendship. And as we said in the synopsis, Oscar slowly comes to realize that she's no ordinary young girl. And one of the huge conflicts of this movie is that Oscar is repeatedly terrorized by uh, a group of young kids at his school that are not very nice to him. And so let's kind of start with that because the way that he meets Ellie is she catches him fake killing one of them as, as if a tree was one of these evil bullies. And then she later offers him advice about how to handle these bullies, <laughs> perhaps advice that she's learned along X many years. She's been alive. Uh, does she give him good advice? She tells him to go fight them. Or fight back. Well, she says to hit back, hit hard. If there's three of them, hit harder. Hit harder than you dare. She tells him to kill him. 
No. I, I, I think there can be a reading of do she, lasting harm. She tells them, yeah, she tells them to hit back hard. So. I, I mean, I don't think it's good advice because look at what ended up happening. If she hadn't come along, he would have lost an eye or been drowned. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of escalation. I think. I don't think the bullies were just were put down by just, you know, him hitting once. <laughs> this is the age old parenting question, right? Do you tell your kid to hit back? <laughs> I mean, uh, and then sometimes it might work with some bullies, but not with these guys. Yeah. yeah. These were pretty nasty bullies. I mean, I think that there are some situations where that might have been the end of things and they would have decided that he was not worth messing with anymore and left him alone. But, you know, then you find out that the one bully has got the older brother bully who is like him on, you know, testosterone and steroids and apparently thinks it's fine to just, you know, completely torment this kid himself and possibly seriously injure, even kill him. So, Mm, yeah. And the reason I bring this up as our first discussion topic is because the basis that that Oscar is being so heavily bullied at school and the fact that he has what seems to be a very unstable home life uh, is all really good groundwork for him to have his only friend be a vampire on the jungle gym at night. (laughs) I wouldn't say that it's a it's a terrible home life it's just his his mother is overprotect unstable in the sense that his parents are divorced but i mean he spends the majority of time with his mom she's just overprotective right no that's fair overprotective and also a little disconnected like it seems like what the most she wants to really do with him is watch a tv show i don't know that's that's a relationship (laughs) that i think didn't because it seemed at times like they had a good relationship, but also seemed at times like she wasn't really that attentive to him. I could have, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just feel like that relationship wasn't as well fleshed out as it maybe could have been. Is it also fair to say perhaps that, that well, two things, first of all, that his, his mother seems to really be looking for some co-parenting help and maybe isn't getting it. And then B a question Nicole put in our docket why are all the adults in Oscar's life portrayed as uncaring and neglectful? And not say she is. She's, again, like David said, she's kind of just a hands-off force for the most part. She's aside caring. From, she's just kind of distant. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the dad's cool. Right. Yeah, but, but he's, everyone he's, else he's is, in cool, fun dad. Everyone else is kind of like uncaring, neglectful, distant is probably a good word. Because I don't think everyone's uncaring. Like his gym coach, swim coach guy cares about him, I think. Yeah, but he, you know, obviously he can't be there all the time to, sure. you know, look after him. So, I don't know. I, I put it in just because this has come up in other media. It, it reminded me a lot of, um, I don't know if anyone else here has read Ender's Game. Um, yes. But it's a very popular novel and this, you know, Ender is six but he's incredibly precocious and like genius level intelligent and when he gets bullied his his thought process is to hit back very hard right away and just put a stop to it instantly or it's just going to continue interminably he eventually kills someone (laughs) he kills like two people i think 
Uh, or like severely, he severely injures yeah, the first kid. Like he kicks him hard enough. There's blood on his shoe. And then in the shower, he kills the other one in a fight. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Ender is a, uh, a sociopath to say the least. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he has that whole line about, you know, I, when I understand my enemy and the moment that I, I understand them, I love them. And then, once I love them, I hate them, or I know how to. I, it's been forever since I've read it. So they, like, I hate them, or I know how to destroy them, sort of thing. Like he does have this incredibly powerful empathy, but a lot of that also has come from the fact that everybody also around him has been so distant because he is a third child. Right. Yeah. It's it's a whole it's a whole other thing. Right. It's but a it whole just, world. I just wanted to bring it up because you know that is something that as a parent that I've had to deal with, which is you know what how do you advise your kid when they're being bullied? Do you tell them to go to the teacher? Do you tell them to just ignore it? Do you tell them to fight back? Do you, what do you, what's the right thing to say? You know, and of course it varies by situation. I think in Ellie's case, it, it, Ellie's advice would have worked if it weren't for the sadistic big brother. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, Terry, how do you read? Uh, I want to go back very briefly to the parents as well. Terry, how do you read, as someone who's seen this movie a ton, uh, his parents and their impact on Oscar's life and if he's having a positive experience at home? Because I'm wondering if all the things that facilitate this relationship being so strong between him and Ellie is really rooted in the fact that he doesn't seem to have any friends or even parents that seem to take him that seriously. Like even his dad, when he has a great time with his dad, it's like, Oh, the neighbor's here. It's time to drink straight vodka. Well, Oscar also, they touch on this in the film. Oscar has a dark side already. You know, he's got that scrapbook he keeps of all of the, murders and like he reads a lot of newspapers and remember there's a scene in the classroom where he knows all of this true crime stuff and crime details and everyone else is kind of weirded and icked out by him so there's there's some levels to why he's an outcast and why he's bullied like he's just sort of perceived as odd and I think that I think that the distance of the adults in the movie kind of serves a narrative purpose more than anything else, because there's a world that sort of belongs to kids where they don't let adults in and don't share adult share certain things with adults. And I think that that's more what's happening than wrongdoing on the parts of the adults is a lot of this isn't happening in front of them. They're not seeing it. They're not witnessing it. Because the kids are careful to not show that side of themselves around the adults. That's a good point. His life is incredibly separate from his mother. His mother has no idea what's going on until the school calls home about him slapping some kid with a stick. Uh, mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. I, I think that's that's incredibly valid. It almost reminds me of, this is going to be a bad comparison, but like... The the adults are kind of inconsequential in this movie. I mean, like, yes, there are adults that get killed and there are adults that are that try to kill and try, but ultimately the adults serve the same sort of purpose as like the parents and Calvin and Hobbes. Like you couldn't even see their faces and it'd be fine if you didn't, you know? Exactly. Yeah. They're ineffective. 
Yeah. I I feel like one thing I'm going to forget about this movie in the next few months to, you know, next couple of years, whenever I see it again is mostly the adult subplot of this film. Um, Not that it's necessarily a bad subplot. I get what they're doing there, but I don't think the, the adult characters are as strong and interesting as Ellie and Oscar are. Exactly. They're a necessary backdrop because you couldn't tell this story without putting adults in it because these are children and, you know, someone is ostensibly feeding them and caring for them and what have you. And they go to school, but this is the kid's story. This is not a story that's about the adults. Mm -hmm. I I wonder, like, I kind of wonder what like a version of this film would look like if they kind of did it like E.T., where you don't ever really see the face of an adult or anything like that. It's just like, I mean, it would have been hard to do some of those scenes that way, but I'm saying if you, if you shot it more of just focusing entirely on the kids and kind of cut the adults out of it in a sense and just had their presence be sort of in the background. I don't know. Just an idea. But then we wouldn't have amazing scenes with Gosta, who is the most wonderful character in this movie, the cat man. uh, With so many, how many cats does that man have? I don't know. I, I, I estimated it about like 15, probably. What a hero. That is life goals. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, where do you even get cats like that? <laughs> There's like no stores. This place is just kind of an empty wasteland. It's like Chernobyl without the radiation. Probably um, on the streets mostly. Yeah. Or they're probably not fixed either. Y- y- yeah. yeah. I, 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 the storm. Maybe just that My too. mother was friends with someone who who had adopted I think at one point she had seven cats and seven cats means at least four litter boxes and oh hair my God. Oh, everywhere everywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and the house will always smell of cat right. always 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 no matter how clean it is or how often you vacuum it will smell like cat I guess I will say like like the as much as I like to Can't joke about his, house. Right, his crazy his crazy cat dadness, he also is kind of the only consequential adult because he's the one that actually in a way because he witnesses a murder. He knows he, that yeah he witnesses the attack on Joka. Right, he mm-hmm. knows that this young girl is running around killing people long before anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't. I don't think even initially, I'm not sure he, he thinks it's a girl initially. He says something because Ellie, when Ellie attacks, um, makes these animal noises. So he thinks there's an animal attack going on and there just happens to be a kid nearby and involved, maybe also attacked. Okay. So he's not mm-hmm. sure what he's seen. He just knows it's scary and it's weird and yeah. he's not going to tell anybody because they're going to, they all, they probably already think he's weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. The deck's kind of stacked against him right there. That's for sure. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And let's also talk about the, the sound effects because this is something that the film has been lauded for. And let's not forget that in case those are unfamiliar listening, this has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. People love this movie. And uh, the sound effects are one of the things that was praised most highly when this came out uh, that the score, I know it's different from sound effects, but the score is sparse and and beautifully written that the sound effects are grisly and gnarly and just enough unpleasant sounds to hear without showing you a lot of the time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the sound design in this movie is really great. Like there are times where the score does drop out and builds the, they build tension really well to the point where I'm like, I'm going to turn my TV down a little bit and uh, look away slightly in preparation for a jump scare, uh, which there are no jump scares, I, which I think is good because uh, jump scares are bad storytelling. Uh, and but I, I was reading somewhere where I guess that one of the sounds that they really wanted to focus on was the sound of blinking. And they made that by like moving grape skins together. And I have been uncomfortable ever since. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the sound of it. I I think the sound design complements the acting as well, because man, like a significant portion of Ellie's character is sound. If that makes any Mm -hmm. sense. Right. Like, like when she gets, to these points where she gets really vampire-y <laughs> for lack of a better way to describe that, where she needs to feed and needs to get blood. And she obviously hasn't for some time. She almost like growls. Yeah. Ellie's voice changes on a, on a regular basis. And actually the Ellie's part was, was dubbed in I was gonna say um, this, yeah. the, the child actress they got to play Ellie, they thought her voice was too high. So they brought in a voice actor to go over the lines and that that voice is is a little lower mm-hmm. than your standard, you know, girl's voice. It's a little lower, it's a little more modulated. Which yeah, I feel um, a little bit bad for that that actress of like, hey, you did great in all the scenes. Um, we're not using your voice at all though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Welcome I mean the, David the Prowse, performance right? is so good. Yeah. I don't think it I don't think it subtracts anything. No, absolutely. It does not. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, again, I I think of David Prowse with that, right? Like, they didn't even plan on having James Earl Jones be Darth Vader until post. (laughs) And they were like, we need a menacing voice. Uh, Yeah, so I want to ask you, Terry, as, as an actress by trade, how you feel about the acting in this movie. I struggle to, when it comes to foreign films, probably more so than other people here on the panel, I struggle to figure out if actors are any good or not, because it's harder for me when I'm not like watching them act in, in my native dialect. I struggle with it more, but mm. as someone who's trained in it, I'd be curious what your thoughts are. You know, how's the acting in this movie? What do you think of it? I mean, overall, the people I care about the most in the movie are the two kids and, um, Oh, goodness. I'm blanking on a character name. The guy who is Ellie's basically companion and caregiver. Hakan. Hakan. Hakan, thank you. So, yeah, the performances that I'm really concerned about in the movie are the two children and Hakan. Because to me, those are really the main people that you're dealing with that you actually care what happens to. And I think all three of those performances are absolutely superb. They're just gentle and nuanced and understated, and they all feel like real people to me. For uh, for Oscar's character, it's it's very like it's very nuanced acting. I think if that's the right word for it, because yeah, he he doesn't have a ton of expression, but with what he does is still very impactful to me. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's subtle, but I think it reads very well. Yeah, like not a lot of people would like f- figure out their best friend's a vampire and be like, I'm going to go home now 
and not lose their mind, which he does not. Well, this is this is not an ordinary kid, and it is shadowed for you that he's not an ordinary kid. He's very lonely, and right. he's also very impressed. I'm sorry, very obsessed with a lot of morbid things. So I think that he finds Ellie a little scary, but also cool. Right. And also by the time he finds out the truth about Ellie, he is also completely, he's in love for the first time. He is completely besotted and Ellie could grow another head at that point. And he would just love that other head. That's where he (laughs) is at that point. I made I made a comment in our uh, in our Slack chat when around the time when Ellie kisses him with blood on her mouth, uh, I, I said, "Boy, this this boy is going to have some weird fetishes when he grows up." Uh, <laughs> just being at a very impressionable time and having some very strange things happen to him. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Uh, yeah, and I mean Terry, as you brought up earlier, he does have like his his murder scrapbook. I mean that's. That's that's a little concerning. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I, I put that in my notes. Says he has a worrisome notebook. But we <laughs> but we do learn later on in the movie. You know, um, I want to get into the whole uh, the scene between him and Ellie, and and she tells him be me for a while, and um, because you know she kills out of necessity, whereas he daydreams about killing for revenge. Two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he is faced with the with the, you know, potentially hurting or killing somebody. Um, I believe it's Locke comes to, to kill Ellie because she, she had killed his best friend. Um, Right. She doesn't allow Oscar to have to make that decision. And you can tell he's incredibly hesitant to do so, nor do I think he would. I don't know. I think he's stealing himself to, to try to hurt Locke with his, his little pocket knife. Right. Uh, if he, in order to protect Ellie, but Lockett doesn't do what he thinks he's going to do. He thinks Lockett's going to stab Ellie, but instead Lockett goes for the covering on the window to let the sunlight in. Right. Yeah. Well, cause so he, he hesitates. He, he, he says he can't see what he's doing. Uh, yeah, because yeah. he is pressing it up against her neck like a, a knife. Yeah. yeah. No, he's he's going to do something, but he, you know, he goes for the window first. Right. But, but I guess my point is, is that Oscar doesn't have, like, she makes that decision for Oscar before Oscar has the opportunity to potentially attack this man. You know, she's like, no, you're not going to have to make this decision. I'm taking matters into my own teeth. Uh, (laughs) And and, and I think that's, I think that's an interesting part of, of his character because in that be me scene or, you know, what, what does she say? She says, um, I had it here. Uh, be in me, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, and and then we see, yeah, be me for a while, and then we like see her really old for a second. Did anyone else catch this? Yes. Yeah, that's a different actress, actually. Yeah. Whoa. Well, apparently, apparently they use her at another time as well when she's licking the blood off the floor. Really? Yeah, and right after the attack on Virginia, 
I think when yeah. oh, she gets interrupted and looks up, it's it's the older looking yeah. version. Yeah, Ellie's Ellie's age is never explicitly stated. Uh, I mean, in, in the movie or in the book, but well, I, what she says is that she is twelve and that she's been, 12, been twelve for a very, very long, long time. Yeah, the speculation is that she's about because I guess in the in the book there's more flashbacks. A lot more. The book is so fleshed out, and and they wanted to include scenes of that as well, but it's speculated that Ellie's about three hundred years. 300 yeah i feel i feel like though i feel like watching this movie part of like we wanted to include scenes as code for we had no money uh because (laughs) probably you can definitely tell doing like flashbacks because they probably had to do i mean you had to find new locations and do period costumes and stuff and that's a whole lot right more yeah i was not prepared for that switch to old that was some melisandre stuff i was not prepared for Uh, game of thrones deep cut it's over now i can spoil things okay um let's also talk a little bit about ellie being this old vampire and uh and the pronouns we should even use for ellie you know ellie presents as somewhat female but repeatedly repeats i'm not a girl this was a question from nicole um i know david and i kind of read that as like i'm no longer a girl i am this like you know, vampire slash creature slash like I've disassociated myself from being human, which is why I don't want to be called a girl. But oh, well, what was your, what was your take book is much more explicit. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, yeah, the book straight up tells you what happens um, where this is like, they hint at it. Um, but even like watching it, I didn't get that. That's what they, because uh, spoiler alert for people, uh, Ellie is a, a castrated boy. Um, who was then turned into a vampire and seems to now identify as female. Um, but I did not quite, I, I get that now knowing that context, but I would think just from the context of the movie, it's not, it's pretty ambiguous. I don't know. I think Ellie is content to present as female, but because Ellie keeps telling Oscar, I'm not a girl, I wouldn't say that Ellie identifies as female. I agree. I think that Oscar reads Ellie as female and Ellie realizes this and tries to kind of gently clarify it. But Oscar has already decided that this is a girl and that he likes her. And once that dynamic is established, I think that Ellie doesn't feel safe bucking that i think that she feels like she's going to lose the connection with oscar if she doesn't present as what he has decided to see yeah because he he does have this scene where he asks her the go steady which i haven't heard since my grandpa said that about me and my fiance and um (laughs) and and she's like she shuts him down until he explains to her that apparently, especially when you're 12, going steady is apparently absolutely no different than just being friends. At which point Ellie's like, eh, pretty much. This will shut you yeah. up. We're going steady. We'll hold, we'll hold hands every once in a while. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic because I, I don't want to jump too far to the end of this movie, but what is Hakan? Let's, let's go back to Hakan. What is Hakan to Ellie then? Like in the book, it's a pedophile trying to get some, which is horrific. And I'm kind of glad they didn't include that in this movie. In the movie, what is Hakan to Ellie? In a caretaker of some kind. It is hinted at in the movie, though, because Hakan is jealous of Oscar. 
and it's only touched on really quickly, oh. but there's the scene where Hakan ask Ellie, do one thing for me. Please don't go see that boy. Oh, I read that as like, don't reveal yourself to be a vampire to the wrong. Oh, that makes sense. I feel like it's in how he says it and where his face is. He's jealous. Mm. A lot of, man, a lot of people did not have that reading from my, from like my brief research. It's super subtle, but I really feel like I see it there. And, you know, Mm. I have gone on to read the book and see that whole thing. But I think that, you know, my friend and I called it when we watched the movie. It's like his attachment, because initially when you see him out hunting for her in the beginning of the movie, we think it's a parent-child relationship, but just the way that she treats him and that he acts towards her, it's like something. This is something different. Right. Yeah. And Ellie, um, in, I think there's a, there's a hint of the book relationship in that when Ellie reaches out and touches Hakan's cheek, he, he closes his eyes and kind of leans into it blissfully. I agree. completely. Oh, ah, you know, I'm getting touched, but I think it's also, you know, he's, He's super jealous. He has, he, by the very nature of what he does for Ellie, he cannot have any other relationships than his relationship with Ellie. Mm -hmm. This is his only interpersonal connection, and he doesn't want anything to to possibly take that away from him, because it's all he has. So for the listeners, this is a a grown man that goes and, you know, kills innocent people and Strings them up upside down and drains them of their blood. I feel yeah, like there's no, easier well, ways to do this. You think no, you have to hang with it by now? Okay, he's my, really bad at it. I I love the the opening scene in this movie. Did not set a great price. I, I ended up I ended up liking this movie, but I was hesitant yeah. in this opening scene where Hakan strings up a jogger in the middle of the woods in a very sparsely wooded area where you can see the freeway in the background and you can yeah, see a cars really passing well-lit park, <laughs> like a well-lit, like yeah. wooded air park with like trees, every 10 paces. It's not like he's deep in the woods. Okay. Um, which is like, no shock. Jerry, the dog, I forgot the dog's name comes and immediately Ricky. finds him. Ricky, Ricky, the dog. Thank God. Ricky didn't die. I would have turned it off then and there. Oh, I, I went straight up ready. I'm like, Nope, this movie does not, is not justifying <laughs> dog murder. I yeah. Out. David put that in our Slack chat in all caps. He's like, he better not do anything to that dog. Yeah, yeah. he's very clearly not very good at it. It's unclear how long he's been doing it. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious. Tara, you said you read the book. Nicole, have you read the book? Yes. I have, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll div- uh, I will um, divert to you, both you then. Uh, does it say in the book how long he's been doing this for her? Like, did he fall in love with her at the age that Oscar has and has been kind of devoted to her ever since. I don't remember it saying that he met him when that that he met Ellie when he was Oscar's age, but I know that he was significantly younger. Yeah, I mean, he's I the thing is he is definitely a pedophile in the book and yeah. he was an adult already. It's been a good chunk of years, but he okay. was definitely already an adult pedophile when they met and was, you know, looking to victimize Ellie. And then Ellie basically realized as 
someone who has been around as long as she has for, you know, the kind of dynamic she's in, she realizes that she can use this. Right. And that's what their relationship is based on. That makes sense yeah, I to get me. The very, I get a very strong feeling there have been other Hakans in the past. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that brings me to another oh, discussion sure. topic. But mm-hmm. also, one quick note on that. She's very disconnected to him. You know, at one point she's like, oh, just get out of here if you don't like this, basically, to him. She, she doesn't seem to really care for him all that much, uh, which would yeah, make sense. Yeah, when Ellie touches his... Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, like, he seems to serve a very utilitarian purpose to her. Yeah, huh. when when she touches his face, like, a couple of times, I get the... It reminded me of, like, when somebody comes over to your house who doesn't have a dog and doesn't really care for dogs and your dog <laughs> comes up to them and they just sort of absently pat your pat dog it. like twice yeah. and then yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah. That's the way Ellie touches Hakan. <laughs> yeah, I think you're I think you're right on the mark there. And and this leads into a discussion topic, you know, I have, which is the ending scene of this movie is uh, Oscar whisking away on a train, seemingly alone, until we realize that there is a box that Ellie is inside of that he's, you know, tapping to her like Morse code style through, which they do throughout the movie because their their you know bedrooms are they share a wall in this sad apartment complex. And um, <laughs> aside from my question of like where is he going, <laughs> uh, my main question is, does this set him up? Because apparently they tap like love you or like kiss or something to each other. She, she taps kiss. kiss and he taps back small kiss. Okay. So, yeah. so is this setting him up to be a future Hakan? Not necessarily in like That's- a pedophile way, but most certainly in like a, I'm throwing away any chance of normalcy to, to and I think she loves him maybe more so than she does or ever did Hakan, but he's certainly seemingly throwing away a lot to go do whatever it is he's doing with her. Oh, I mean, this is first love, and for him, it's huge. And I don't think that he feels connected to the rest of the world that he's in enough to not leave it for something that is that huge to him. And I think that they set that up. You know, he doesn't really have any friends. He does have his parents, but in a sort of disconnected kind of way. And there's, you know, there's the world of kids and the world of adults. And I think that the relationship with Ellie is more important to him. And then there's also his dark, violent side. And here is someone he doesn't have to hide that from. Yeah, she's straight up. Uh, like I don't want to say she full on manipulated him, but years down the road, they're not going to have that same romantic relationship. He's going to take on that Hakan role when he's aging and she's not, and she's going to live forever and he's not. Right. That That's my uh, thing. It's like, it's, it's, it, even if it's a young love thing, he grows up. Well, it's not young for her. Not young for her, yeah. but, but, but he grows older while she does not, you know, which I think is weird which, territory. Yeah. yeah. I, that's something I find fascinating about the movie. This movie is that it's, I think it's really ambiguous. I go back and forth between whether Ellie genuinely feels affection and love for Oscar or if Ellie is manipulating Oscar. I think there's, I think there's times where it could kind of be both where she does genuinely feel for him, but because she genuinely, she sees that emotion in him. It's like, ah, I can get this boy to get me blood. 
Yeah, I don't right. know. I mean, that's that's something that you know the the special features on the DVD are are brief. I don't have the Blu-ray, so I don't know if they have better features on that. But um, on the DVD, there's like a, a brief interview with the director and a little bit about how the movie was shot and um the uh where was i going with this the, <laughs> the, the director thinks the director thinks it's it's very clear that this is that this is a love story and that ellie you know falls in love with oscar or or grows to love oscar um and will and and that ellie is part of the reason Oscar is so drawn to Ellie is that Ellie is capable of manifesting the violence that he feels inside mm-hmm. that he wants to express. You know, he is, he is the, the, the light outside and she is the dark inside. Um, you know, and they found like the milkiest skinned boy on the planet <laughs> to play Oscar. So white. I've yeah. never seen anybody so pale in my whole life who was not like see-through. Right. Um, but the relationship you described, Nicole, very much does does not sound like the healthy, you know, bedrock of well, a, of of a relationship. Ellie is a vampire and has to kill people to live. Right. But Ellie does show remorse yeah. after killing. When After Ellie, Ellie kills Jaka, you know, Ellie kind of collapses over him a little bit for a minute and, you know, puts hands over her face and. Well, she does. She also does kill him. Uh, I, I think because she's not going to fully drain him to death, but she knows like, if I don't, if I don't kill him, he's going to turn into me. Right. Though she also right. Yeah, does... that's true. She kills him by snapping his neck, not by draining him completely. Right. Right. And she also because does she has to leave Virginia after draining her only part way. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Now she does kind of lure him though, and I think I think all this is a good discussion yeah. into one of Nicole's questions with which is is she good, evil, or or neither? And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't <No>. know. <laughs> According to the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual. <laughs> <laughs> Vampires are lawful evil creatures. I want uh, I want so. the listeners to know that he was equipped with an actual Dungeons and Dragons monster manual. <laughs> yep, I had it in the bag next to me, and I've been holding it in my lap, waiting for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, man, I don't know if I'd classify her as as evil. I think I'm almost in the middle point. I think she's a little bit of neither. I think she kills out of necessity. But also as a dark but does side, that justify killing. <laughs> like, well, I mean, she has to do this thing in order to survive, and of course, she's interested it, in surviving because she's a living being and she just is. But she's also like fiercely protective. You know, she obviously kills in order to protect Oscar. Did the kid and, have to lose his head? <laughs> like that's my question. In the most amazing shot of the movie, <laughs> if you ask me. I completely agree. It's it's one cool of shots. my favorite Certainly. shots ever. Uh, I mean, gonna just to get real philosophical with it for a moment. Is Ellie's existence good? Like this is this is you a, saying that, like Ellie should just commit suicide for the greater good of the world kind I, of thing, or like I mean that's like a, we're we're dealing in the abstract of you know vampires well, sure. actually existing, and you know they are creatures that. 
attack and kill other people and drink their blood. And it's like, is this a, is, you know, in, in a, in a very giant philosophical <laughs> question, is this a good, is this something that, that should be around? And I'm not saying we're going to, we should dig email us. Hi at mgrpodcast.com. Yeah, I know. Like, that's a question I'll post to the audience. Like, please send me your think pieces. Uh, well, I because, mean, again, every, every vampire I've met in Dungeons and Dragons, I have thoroughly murdered. Like, every carnivore on the planet has to kill to live. Yep, that. <laughs> so, I mean, should all carnivores die because they kill other beings? You know? Mm. I mean, Ellen so. never asked to be a vampire. It was something no. that was done to her. So, right. you know, while she was an innocent child herself. So what is she supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, just just for clarity, in the book, Ellie is abducted by uh, this um, vampire and an assistant. And in this ritual was bound um castrated and made a vampire and you know ellie had been a boy prior to this happening you know um so in the movie you just see a a, you could call it an ambiguous scar it doesn't seem that ambiguous to me yeah Um, there's there is a scar where any sort of visible genitalia would be on a person. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, I'm, 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 oh, go ahead. No, no, no. That's, that's where I was. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just asking this question kind of a, in a big philosophical sense. Cause it's like, is Ellie good? The evil either. I mean, is a vampire as a philosophical idea, a, a, good or evil creature you know yeah i mean yeah they're they're hunting for survival they didn't ask for things necessarily be like this but it's like at the same time they like they you know ellie terrorizes this town kills innocent people uh kills three children uh it's just hard to look at that and be like yeah that's a that's a that's a good that's a good person yeah i don't know i mean overall Without Ellie as a specific example, I mean, I don't know. It's just fun to get into this. Um, overall, <laughs> I think it depends on like who who a vampire chooses to kill. Okay, now whether we're or not they're the whole, good. Now we're getting to the Dexter part of it. <laughs> <laughs> right, the Dexter, the True Blood, the yeah. uh, who are man, who are uh, an angel. Would any of these people be on Harry's list? Right, <laughs> the, yeah, and maybe that question in part shows that there is an evil side to her because I have yet to see a coming of well, age movie where the bullies get dismembered. I think it's I, a little extreme on her behalf. Some of us were waiting for this moment, um, Ellie, but Ellie kills Jaka because Ellie is desperate. Hakan has failed to bring the blood that he went out to get mm-hmm. because he got interrupted when he hung up the kid um, in the woods to, in the very lightly wooded area to, to drain his blood. Um, and so Ellie's hungry. And then I think Ellie has to deny herself again for like a second day. So this is a very, very, very hungry vampire who is, you know, no longer thinking 100% clearly who has to go hunt 
at the point that she kills the first innocent person. Though not at the end, though, when she's killing for... I'm not going to say fun, because it's not fun. Are any of them innocent? They don't deserve to be dismembered. Uh, okay, okay, to the point, to the point of, to the point of getting horribly dismembered. I don't think I don't so. Think, I don't, okay, I don't think Martin deserves his fate. Martin is the the tall boy who gets sort of coerced no, into right. being a lackey to and the he, to the bully. And let's well, be the main I'm bully. She she could have stopped them without killing. Yeah, them. and let's be real. She, this bully is not going to take out his eye right like this is classic i'm oh, gonna, I don't know. I, I'm I not believe, 100% I sure about have. that really not yeah i even, don't trust even, him at all even the younger brother even the, yeah even the younger brother was even like okay man maybe we're taking this a little bit too far <laughs> okay here. perhaps perhaps uh i don't know i read it very yeah, much as she, look at me spares, flex my muscles ellie spares the young the smaller one she spares uh his name is andreas in the because in the credits weak. Um, because Andreas is like on the benches and weeping, right? You know, big weeping mess when Oscar gets out of the pool. Um, and Jimmy is dead, and Martin is dead, and Connor is dead. Which one of them is headless? Is it just I is it just Connie that's? It's the it's yeah. the oldest Jimmy? one, I believe. Okay, Jimmy. so Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy's the one whose arms gets arm gets. Oh, ripped you're off. right. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, maybe it is Connie. Either I way, I headless. don't. I don't know. I just don't know if. Well, if, it's, if I, the, I think I think it's really, I, I, it's really hard to say. They deserved to be brutally and horribly murdered. There are other ways. Absolutely, she could have stopped them. She made a choice, to, and she is shown to be very in control. When yeah, she, when but she wants Ellie, to be. Ellie enacted a a fantasy of the bullied. You know, the bullied person having having been someone who was bullied heavily when they were 12. I can tell you that it was even though it was extreme, it was very satisfying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also you if you say that Ellie could have done something different, could she have done something different without drawing a lot of unnecessary dangerous for her attention? To herself, I mean, she already had a lot of very dangerous. Yeah, because like if she didn't just wipe everybody out in a couple minutes flat like she did, would someone get an adult? Would someone make her explain who she was, where she lived, who she belonged to, etc.? I mean, I mean, she she did leave that one child, but that's different than. Having several of the children, it's like, wait, do you even go to this school? Where did you come from? Et cetera, et cetera. You can knock them out. You can hurt them to a point where they are not able to readily stop her. And I mean, because obviously That's there was, fair. they had no way of stopping her. That's fair. Yeah. So it, in the book, do we, do we get to the point where either the, the innocent teacher or the small child that is crying on the bench gets arrested and charged with, with a, you know, murder. No, okay, because no, no. Andreas, you some, sick son of a bitch. Somebody's going down <laughs> you for this tiny because sick bastard. <laughs> she caused this. Finally, you killed all these people. That one jogger in the woods. <laughs> Andreas well, is going down for all of it. And the other layer to it is, you know, does Ellie know how to fight or defend herself, or does she just know how to hunt? That's yeah. That's a good question. That's yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, I doubt Ellie ever went to kung fu class. Right. Yeah. Right. So I I think that it's a lot of you know using the tools at her disposal to do what she knows that she can do. There. Right. 
So, so we've talked a lot about the role of gender in this film, particularly how it relates to, to Ellie. Let's also talk about the role of sexuality in this film. Nicole, this is something you brought up in our docket. Um, why don't you kind of lay it yeah. here? It's a little, it's, it's almost icky. It's a little bit, it's pushing the boundaries. I mean, the opening of this movie, Oscar's standing just in his underpants at the window of his apartment, like doing the Robert De Niro, you talking to me kind of thing, you know, <laughs> practicing in the reflection, right. what he would say to the bullies while he's got his knife, you know, trying to be a tough guy, mm-hmm. but it's Sweden. It's really cold. Why is he wearing only his underpants? He's naked a lot in this you know, movie. It's a little strange. The amount of, children's bodies you see in this movie mm. yeah i i agree I, it makes me think of another movie um whose title i am now entirely forgetting uh it's wes anderson movie moonrise uh, kingdom moonrise kingdom yeah that bothered me too <laughs> yeah yeah but 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 i think like also it, it's it's one scene and they're doing something very specific with that scene uh, that I think for me mostly works. Where we're here, like, yeah, it's like there's a lot of like this young boy is just in his underwear <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's partly, I suspect that the director is partly going for the innocence kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Or showing the, the vulnerability yeah. of Oscar. Oscar is an extremely vulnerable child. And Ellie shows you know, up very isolated too, in bed with Oscar. Yeah, in a purely platonic yeah, but, but, way, but she, yeah, she makes him keep his back to her. So, th- and do, when she touches him, it's just his, like his back and his arm. Do they? Uh, does Ellie have to be invited in every single time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. By the way, I love that this is. I think this is the only vampire movie shy of what we do in the shadows that I've seen that actually plays with the whole you have to be invited so in is, thing. So this right, is not it shows our first you. Oh, you're right. It oh my shows god, you yeah. What happens yeah. when a vampire comes in when they're not invited? Yeah. I can't believe well, I said I, that. I think right. Yeah, I think uh, I mean it also wasn't Buffy and Angel it's just they couldn't cross the threshold in Yeah, that. they would just like whack against the wall of air and not be able to yeah. get through it. Mm. Yep, and then there's the uh uh the whole thing, the really strange part in Angel where he's able to walk into a school because the inscription over the door says all who seek knowledge are welcome. We're not getting in this is not the Angel <laughs> Buffy podcast. Uh there are probably twenty seven of those. Yeah, there are plenty. <laughs> Yeah, but I do love that that but, inclusion, and I love the. It's the most visceral, intense, alarming scene of the whole movie when she starts, you know, bleeding from literally is it everywhere. The most intense scene when people are being beheaded into a pool. Hundred percent. You don't see the beheading, right? Yeah, this thing, this they show you blood pouring out of her ear. Yeah, and yeah. this is also the scene where she's like, her eyes are bleeding, and she's like grabbing him by the face, saying like, "Be me," and then she turns into a scary <laughs> old lady. Like, there's a lot to unpack right there. I'm sticking yeah. with that being the most jarring scene of the movie for me. Though, let me say, after having just seen John Wick Chapter 3, in which, yes, yeah, watch somebody get stabbed in the eye, and they don't shy away from it. 
this is not the worst thing I've seen this week, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I actually think the violence in this movie is pretty understated. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Totally. As movies go. I mean, I think it's much less bloody and violent than most American horror movies I was watching around the same time. And what violence and blood and gore you do see, it's it's done to a specific effect. And I don't even feel like, with the exception of the invitation bleeding scene, I don't feel like the violence is lingered on by the camera. It's it's mostly shown at a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's almost never shown up close. Uh, Except for Hakan's face, the yeah. side of the face. Yeah. You get to see a good long shot of that. Mm-hmm. Do Swedish hospital windows open? <laughs> yeah. I Yes. For the purposes of this story, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm used to the US where like all our buildings are hermetically sealed nowadays (laughs) unless they're private homes. Yeah. Hospitals especially. It's like it's it's, against the law for the for windows and hospitals to open up. So let's shoot through a couple more discussion topics here so we don't run too long. Uh, the first is... Aww. I know. Uh, the CGI in this, the director wanted it to be as sparse and unnoticeable oh. as possible. And and by and large, he succeeds, but woof, is there a cat scene? Um, <laughs> can we oh, talk... Cats. Okay, I need, to, I, I need to unpack this for the listeners. I almost right. After we talk about <laughs> the cats, I, I want to talk about the, the more subtle stuff. Yes, we'll but, talk about the more subtle yes, stuff. But oh my god, the cat thing. It's like if you went on a stock footage website and just like search for videos of cats on green, like fake cats on green screens, like meowing and stuff, and then just like chroma keyed it's them. It's like a in. video game. Oh my yeah. god, it looks. It's it's like it's like a like a PS2 mid two thousands <laughs> early PS3 or late PS3. Yeah, yeah. it's so and it's so bad. <laughs> and granted, like the cats only they only had to do this for when the cats attack a woman that that Ellie has turned into a vampire because apparently cats know that. I don't know if that's a, that's a vampire lore thing. Topanga knows that. Uh, yes. Right. Yes, it is. It is a vampire. <laughs> no, lore there, thing. There's, okay. There's some, some stories where vampires are terrified of cats. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. I didn't know it was cats in particular. I thought it was just animals. Right. Yeah. I thought a predator nearby. Come on. That, that gif of a, of a cat knocking over. I sent that right. As I watched that. That was was hilarious. You need to put that in the chat for Terry. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But oh my God, it is not, it's not good. It's really it, not. Yeah, it does. It does take you out of the movie for a minute. Unfortunately, that's it's really too bad because this movie is so absorbing, and it's such a a well drawn world that it's it's such a shame and it's kind of jarring when the the CGI cats attack poor Virginia, who never yeah. asked for any of this. Yeah, it's kind of a sci fi <laughs> original movie. Um, though I will say yeah. there's another piece of, and I'm sure I might have people who disagree with me here, but there's another piece of CG in this movie that was jarring to me, albeit not equally as jarring, which is with okay. Virginia, where Ellie just drops out of the sky, Assassin's Creed style. Out of the tree. To, out of a tree. <laughs> yeah, there was a tree. Okay, I, I didn't even notice the tree. And it's just, it's so kind of absurd looking to me that it couldn't help but pull yeah. me out a little bit. Oh, I didn't think it was that. Like bad. I thought the best part the best part for me of knowing that 
Ellie could fly or, you know, get places really easily was never seeing it because they didn't have the budget for that. No, they did show when they, when they scale a building. Yeah. Ellie climbs up the wall of the hospital, which that got me good. Uh, I I went back and rewound to see if, if she was hiding there the whole time. Uh, that was really well done. Yeah, but we don't see her like flying through the sky, Peter Pan style, like we see very briefly no, when she descends no, upon which Virginia. Which is, I think, a good thing to leave out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and most really, of it is... Yeah, rarely does flying in movies look great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of the CG in this movie is, I think, is very admirable. It's very subtle. It's, you know, they blur the transition between the child actress and the adult actress. Mm-hmm. Um when she when ellie kind of vamps out you know right. so to speak um they do a lot of stuff with ellie's eyes um there's a moment where ellie's in the dark and you see the eyes shine yes Oscar the light on and the pupils constrict vertically like a cat's oh, yes. before they go round again and then there are bits where ellie's irises are just a little bit bigger than normal. Yeah. There are places where Ellie's eyes are just a little bit bigger yeah, than she normal. She got a little Alita Battle Angel at one point. Yeah, the, the director said, you know, it's amazing how disturbing it can be if you just go like down or up by like 10% on the size of somebody's eyes, how incredibly disturbing an effect it creates. Yeah. So, I and agree. they they do that a lot in this movie. There's a lot of of playing with Ellie's eye color and size, and it's right. It's it it's eerie, you know. Yeah. You understand that Ellie is something not human, and it's subtle and it's really effective because it's not over the top. I yeah, mean, attention is not drawn to it. Yeah, I had to do some rewinding after I owned the movie to make sure I had seen it. Sure. Because I thought I wasn't even really seeing it necessarily. Yeah, I think I think you're totally right. I mean, as much as I would love to sit here and talk about the cat scene all day, it's the <laughs> it's the out, it's the outlier, uh, fortunately. So, uh, two more quick discussion topics. Uh, this town is full of psychopaths. Not even necessarily a question, mostly just an observation from David. It's <laughs> a statement I had to say. Yeah. All right, who else are you talking about? Well, the bullies. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. The like. But that's just yeah. Connie and his brother. I, the guy, look, I understand the guy was distraught about his friend dying and then his his lady friend dying, but he was getting ready to just straight up kill this girl without due process. And yeah. that's like, that takes you to a dark place to get there. Uh, yeah, the entire town is not full of psychopaths, but it's just like, there were a couple <laughs> moments where like, everybody in this town is just ready to murder <laughs> Oscar himself at many times. Ah, Sweden in the winter is boring. What else you got? (laughs) It was was the 80s. All righty. Well, in that case, let's do our final discussion topic, which is uh, this epic quote I found from the uh, producer of Let Me In, which is the American remake of this movie, where they quote set, and this is producer Donna uh, Gigliotti, Gigliotti, who said, uh, we're incredibly admiring of the original, but to be honest with you, that picture grossed $2 million. It's not like we're making, it's not like we're remaking Lawrence of Arabia. What a line. That's insulting. What a line. And that's why I never saw that movie, because (laughs) it, I really feel like it was, 
I really feel like it watered things down and assumed that the audience couldn't follow any sort of nuance or subtlety from what I saw and read about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with the, the director of the original, you know, uh, Thomas um, Alfredson uh, said he was upset about the remake because you, you remake a not so good movie you know, to figure out what you could have done better and to, to try and improve things. Now, and, we should know, Implying say, that you don't remake a good movie. There's no reason to. Now, we should say that people on this council aside, the, the remake did get generally positive reviews. It did. And, and even audience scores are similar to, not as high as Let the Right One In, but, but similar to, like on IMDb, they're within you know, a point value of each other. Um, the, the biggest thing that I was kind of disappointment where, cause Matt Reeves, the, the director of the, uh, the, the planet of the apes movies is the one who got contracted to do it. And it's just like, there's so much he could have added from the movie, but kind of just took the same material that this movie did where it's like, if you're going to adapt the novel, you know, take the time to use other parts that weren't used before. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I don't really have any interest in seeing the American version. This was. I'm curious because I like Matt Reeves, but that's about yeah. it. Yeah. I have zero interest. <laughs> and Chloe Grace Moretz is supposed to be really great in it. Very good. Well, maybe maybe yeah. we'll we'll have it done to us at some point, or it'll pop up on a Netflix roulette. Who knows? Uh, Go see the Carrie remake instead. That's at least separated enough in time that it's you know the Kimberly Pierce tried to do something a little bit different with it. And that's another one with Chloe Grace Moretz in it. Uh, let's go around the table, see real quick where we can find everybody online. David, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the internet under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on the Brokebot Mountain podcast. Very good. Be sure to check it out for everybody, Brokebot Mountain. Nicole, where can people find you online? I still need to update Letterboxd, but you can look at my older stuff at Nicole underscore Davis, and that's Letterboxd. Uh, without an E before the final D. Uh, and I take care of our Facebook page, and that's facebook.com slash moviegoroundpodcast. Um, I do almost all of the posts. Brett put up the last couple. Um, and I watch it at, at least every couple of days. So if you ever have any questions or suggestions or thoughts about the show, you can post it there. We'll all get to see it. We'll all get to share it. Maybe we'll mention your name on the podcast. You can t- put something up there and we could say stuff about you because we're desperate for feedback. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yes, absolutely. Moving and on. in the vein of that, you can go ahead and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher and also Podchaser. That's becoming more of a thing now and you can rate over there. Be sure to do that. I've seen a couple new ratings float in on iTunes. It's always great to get some feedback and glad to hear people are liking the show. But let's end. Uh, well, first of all, you can find me on Twitter. I am Brett Stewart. But let's end on Terry. Terry, you have these two wonderful shows on the OTV network. Do you want to drop any I links do. or where people can find you online? And- Wait, I just, let me just interject real quick because I went to look for OTV and I came up with some really bizarre thing about computer networking. So it stands for Open Television okay. Network. Um, so you might want to look for the, the longer name first. And then now, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
So I am a Luddite. I have a Twitter, but I don't know how to use it usually. <laughs> but I am at Terry Lynn Hudso on Twitter because I ran out of room and didn't know what my character limit was going to be. I do also <laughs> have a fan page on Facebook. I can also just be found website-wise at www.terrylynnhudson.com. And that's Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E. Lynn with an E. Right on. And if you want to actually find this, the network that we're referring to, if you have any, again, it'll be on the show notes, but it's weareo.tv. So .tv is the domain name uh, ending on that. Yep. Very good. Well, that'll do it for myself, David, Nicole, and Terry. We'll be back next week with a you did this to us pick. Hopefully it's not awful, but who knows? We'll see. Oh, it's going to be. I awful. know. We'll see everybody then. 